Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Welcome back to Animorphs Anonymous! It's 420 where I am, nice. It's 320 where I am, not so nice. It's 120 where I am, even less nice. Three time zones, one book, our powers combined. What a what an interesting start to this book, Casey. You just I, tell us about your medical emergency and then just throw us in. <laughs> I yeah, and then I punched a fan with my arm in my wild flailing. Oh. So you know. Uh, welcome back, Maisha from Vizzer Chronicles. We liked you so much that we brought you back for another round. Yay! Thank you. Yay! Yay. Yeah, and not only. We liked you so much we brought you back for another round, but specifically on Reddit, you were asked to come back again because everybody liked you so much, not just us. Oh my gosh. Well, I hope I can live up to people's expectations of uh, basically crying about Animorphs some more. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. I'm sure you will exceed their expectations as per usual. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. Excellent. I'm ready to yell. (laughs) That's um, all anyone can ever ask for. I, when I um, asked Maisha to uh, uh, do this book with us, uh, I don't remember what exactly you said, Maisha, but I think it was something to the degree of like, oh yeah, Mega Mars 4, it's not really my favorite of, of them all, but yeah, I, I could come back for this. And so like the entire time yes. I was reading this book, I was like waiting for the ball to drop and I was waiting for it to get really <laughs> crappy and I was like, but it's it's really good and I don't I've been keeping expecting this to be a terrible book. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so is that like an endorsement of this book? Yeah, so what happened was is that I mixed up this book with the third book, which wasn't my favorite, and I'd actually never read this book. So Really? When I read it, and then I was like, yeah, I was halfway through it, and I was like, I I messaged Casey, and I was like, hey, forget everything I just said earlier <laughs> yeah. about this book. I was wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's great. I, like, basically almost read through the whole thing I was telling her, like, I was reading it at night, and I stayed up until 1 a.m. to get, like, over halfway through, and I was like, I should probably go to bed, but <laughs> it's incredibly compelling. Awesome. And, yeah, I was like, I just want to finish it. So, yeah, the book i was thinking of was not this one which as i was was like i don't think i i haven't read this one before what was i talking about yeah the third megamorphs was like the giant cringe fest book yes so yeah and that's why you shouldn't trust me or my memory (laughs) (laughs) i to be totally fair when i was thinking about this book too i was like oh this isn't my favorite megamorphs like uh it'll it'll be fine whatever but um, no, this was excellent. It was way better than I remembered as well. So I'm on that train too. But yeah. does okay. it beat the Good. dinosaur book? No. Well, can no. anything yeah. beat the dinosaur I mean, book? No, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Full 
full confession, I was at Jurassic World Live last night, so. (laughs) (laughs) Incredibly biased. You can't just, yeah. But also no, nothing can be the dinosaur book. Yeah, I'm not going to say it was, like, better written, the plot made more sense. I'm not going to say anything like that. It's just, it's dinosaurs, so I'm into it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, this was, this book was really good. (laughs) Yeah. Casey, I'm so sorry I led you astray. It's okay. I, like, again, it lowered my expectations, so, like, when I kept reading it, I was just like, this is really fucking good. (laughs) Like, it, it just made a very good experience overall. Well, then I'm glad. My question is, who wrote this book? I didn't. Ap- oh, do you Applegate. mean between Applegate and Grant? Or do you just mean like, because I'm oh, pretty like, sure they, they wrote all the like megamorphs, I think. Okay, because yeah. we've been in kind of ghostwriter territory for the past like 20 books. So, okay, it, it, yeah. it was Applegate. Yeah. I think so. Well, Don't yeah. quote me on that, but I feel like they wrote all the like the bigger like Megamorphs okay. Chronicles, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yep, you are correct. Okay. okay. The writing was so fucking good. Like I, I just from the get go, I was like, this has to be Applegate. This has to, like not to disparage the other ghostwriters, <laughs> but like the flavor just like felt yeah. like Applegate. So I'm. Oh, I'll tell you the exact moment that I was like, Applegate is back in a big way, and it was right in the first chapter here um Mm. i'll i'll start to summarize it but like not officially officially start but we start in jake's head they're in the middle of this bloody battle um where jake is stuck under a hork bajur he has to like push the hork bajur off of him he only has three legs as a tiger he's like clawing his way out he shakily gets to his feet and there's this moment of like all the team meeting back up Mm -hmm. and the first thing he does is he calls out to cassie she wasn't doing well the last he saw and he hears Rachel as a grizzly bear growling in the different in the distance. He sees Marco come out as a gorilla. And, like, there's this whole moment where Jake is, like, checking in with each member of his team. And then they each have, like, their own moment within that. And, like, Rachel's is coming out looking for Tobias. And she finds him. And, like, they think he's dead. But it turns out he's fine. And Rachel calls him, like, an idiot or something like that. And, like, but it was said with affection. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, this is so good. Like, all the team members just did a thing that convinces me that they are themselves within three paragraphs of opening this book. This this book was definitely very good about, like, highlighting their core character, even when they're outside of, you know, mm-hmm. like, their, their norm as we know them. You're like, ah, mm-hmm. yes, here is where Rachel becomes, like, the Rachel that we know. Yes. Et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. I... I know you haven't officially started summarizing it, but I thought this was like the strongest opening that we've, one of the strongest openings that we've ever had. Like yes. from the get go, mm-hmm. I like, you had me like the line where Rachel's like, just like kind of roaring off in the distance. She's like roaring with the frustration of a mad beast looking for fresh victims and finding none. I was just like, Oh, okay. Perfect. That's a yeah. great line. And this was like, it. so not only did it have those great lines, but this book was, like it felt like like Catherine just took it to the next level because there's so much like gory violence in this book that was never explicitly stated Mm -hmm. like last we checked in with her yeah yeah and there's one in particular towards the end that i want to bring up but like yeah it's it was just so gory i feel like i know the exact point that you're talking about but i guess we'll see when we get there (laughs) because there were some parts that i highlighted awesome I'm so excited. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now that we've talked up this intro, do you do you want me to start summarizing it? Sure. Please do. Jake, 
We come to this book at the tail end of a bloody battle. Jake is stuck under a hork and trying to push his way up when he realizes he only has three legs. And so he stretches out his front paws in front of him and digs in his tiger claws to drag his way out from under the hork When he finally manages to get out of there, he shakily gets up to his feet and he calls out to Cassie because she wasn't doing well last he saw. In the distance, he hears the growl of a grizzly bear, which, as Casey said, <laughs> the sound of an enraged animal that has run out of targets. He moves into the hallway and starts noticing all the carnage around him, juxtaposed against these bright colors of this room that was used for fashion icon stuff. Um, So Jake sees Marco next. He's morphed back to himself because last he saw Marco, he was bleeding from a huge chest wound. Rachel comes in next, looking for Tobias, overturning the corpses of hork and people that are injured. Cassie demorphs, and Jake is relieved to see her unscathed and beautiful. Rachel starts turning over more dead bodies and finds Tobias crumpled up under one, completely unresponsive. They start yelling at him to demorph, but he seems to be unconscious other than a slight wing twitch. Axe comes clopping up next and they all join in, uh, join in trying to rouse Tobias. He finally wakes up and Rachel calls him an idiot affectionately. Jake hears a controller calling out that he's cold and softly walks over to him. The guy's laying on the ground with a slash across his chest bleeding out and Jake tells the Yerk to get out of this guy's head. The Yurk is panicking because he's saying he can't, he's stuck, the host's ears have been destroyed, and as Jake looks closer, he sees that his ears have been destroyed from a tiger's claws. The Yurk admits he's scared and asks Jake if that makes him happy, and Jake says no, and then the team leaves at Marco's insistence. Rachel punches through a window, and they all go to bird morph and fly out. Uh, And that's the open. (laughs) Fuck. Came in strong. Yeah. The, the oh part God. where, like, Jake tells the Yurk to get out, and the Yurk is like, I can't, the ears are blocked, and then Jake sees that basically it's because of him, and you're just like, good God, this book is coming in, just firing on all cylinders. Ah, uh, yeah, and I thought Jake was actually gonna have, like, do a mercy killing or something, but... Me too! Uh, I'm glad it didn't come to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, one other line that I thought was interesting was Jake commented on how Marco looks so young, and mm-hmm. it's in direct contrast to how Marco always comments on how Jake looks so old, and I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a very good point. And that's even later in this book, Marco comments that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The toll that this is like aren't taken on them. Oh, it's yeah. just... And, like, that was so bare-bones recounting of what happened. It's yeah. so many brutal emotions as you go through. It's mm-hmm. it's just so well-written. Yeah, that's what made me wonder. I was like, is this Applegate? Like, this is just so... I don't know. It felt so, like, natural and, like, just beautifully woven. I don't know. Yeah. Also, the fact, too, that the uh, Jake's chapter starts out with someone you know saying help me help me and you like don't know who it is up until like maybe a little ways through where mm-hmm. you're like oh it's a controller asking for help which yeah. you know maybe the sympathy as you felt at the very beginning now you feel a little conflicted about it as well mm-hmm. he does anyway I think I spend most of this podcast apologizing to Casey for giving her the wrong impression but... <laughs> no this is the point where Casey opened the book. She read through that first chapter and she was like, what? What is Maisha talking about? This is great. <laughs> never trusting anything she says ever again. That's like I said. I was waiting for it to get really bad. <laughs> but I was, I was oh, fully man. ready to have like a differing opinion. But like, I don't know. I was a little confused. 
Okay, so we'll go to chapter two here, which is where we really kick it all off. So Jake is is in his room after this battle, and he's thinking about all the nightmares that haunt him. He's telling us about the construction site and the war and how he was a normal kid with dreams for the future, and now he's the leader of the resistance on Earth, given just enough power to fight, but not enough power to win. He tells us about the recurring dream that he has where he's standing outside of a cave looking into Cassie's eyes, and she's looking back at him with trust and love, and then he sends her into that cave. She goes at his word, trusting him. And then a voice says, you can end it all. And it's a voice he knows. It's the Drode. The Drode tells him that Kryak has struck a deal with the Elemist. He can send Jake back to how it was before all of this happened, back to his normal life with no powers and no war. He just needs one word. Well, two words, because you should always be polite, apparently. Uh, Jake says that he wanted to say no. He really, really wanted to. And then we fade out. Uh. The, like, biggest line in there for me was that enough power to fight, but not enough power to win. That's yeah. the exact one that I also highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, too, because I, like, I said this is basically, like, the... It's not quite the mirrorverse version of with great power comes re- with great responsibility, but it also kind of is. It's more like the pessimistic inverse mm-hmm. of it. Like, mm-hmm. you get enough power that you have to do something. And therefore, like, not doing anything is, like, itself. It's just the thesis statement, I guess, of this book and also Animorphs as a whole, I suppose. You have, like, just enough power that you have to do something. That's, I've never felt that more than in this book of you Definitely. trying to do the right thing, but it's going to be shit. <laughs> yep. At the expense of yourself. Yeah. Well, and the expense of all of his friends, too. And, and Cassie, his girlfriend girlfriend uh speaking of cassie yay so we cut back to cassie's perspective and we are in a very familiar scene cassie's at the mall with rachel and rachel is shopping and there's this very great that's not a right that's not a sentence structure that works there's this great (laughs) description of rachel being on the hunt for the perfect sweater and cassie enjoying (laughs) watching her work and cassie even compares it to like Somebody hunting animals, but Cassie could never agree to hunting animals. So she's just enjoying watching Rachel work this weird Mm -hmm. world that she has. Oh, so good. It's so insightful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is clearly Rachel in her element. And it's like, like many things, it's like good to watch someone be good at a thing that they like know inside and out. I get, I get that. I get that, Cassie. I also really like that. There's so much of this book where it tells you, like, you know, as much as Rachel enjoys, like, shopping and girly things, that's not the only thing that defines her. And that mm-hmm. she was able to mix this, like, here's shopping, a girly thing, and then turn it into this kind of, like, weird, brutal sport is yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's our Rachel. <sighs> yep. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's this point in the beginning where I think Cassie is saying, like, it's, it's further in the beginning where she says, like, I get the feeling that Rachel... Like she's waiting and impatient and I'm like, ah, that's Rachel's hunger that she hasn't like quite figured out how to manifest or like what to do with yet. Like that's such an interesting kind of like you were saying, like observation that Cassie has. Like there's something that Rachel's waiting for. There's something that she's like hungry for, but she hasn't like figured it out yet. Well, and, and it says a lot about Cassie too, because Cassie's just so very tuned into everyone around her and she can just like make these yeah. sort of analyzations. Is that a word? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. sorry, Alex, yeah. what were you going to say? I think it is. These are 
so resonant for me, like the first book and this book, obviously because it's the same scene, but also yeah. because it's so much more brutal from this point of view than it oh, is yeah. from the original point of view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots happened. And you have all this, like, you had all this history since then. Uh-huh. And, like, you're going back and being like, oh, this is, like, with all of that knowledge and just being like, ooh, what's gonna happen? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Ugh, Okay. So Cassie spots Jake walking out of the video game cafe with Marco and she she tells Rachel not to look and Rachel's like, I can't look at my own cousin. OK. <laughs> and there's a little bit of teasing back and forth, which I loved. Uh, and then they notice that there's a third kid with them and Cassie recognizes him, him as Tobias, but he doesn't really she doesn't really know anything about him. So they talk for a few minutes uh, after they come over and they're allowed to look at each other again. And Jake <laughs> asks if they're headed home because he doesn't want them walking through the construction site alone. And Rachel gets immediately enraged and starts mocking Jake, saying, of course they need a big, strong man to walk them home. And Cassie interrupts her, saying she would like Jake to walk with them because she's scared, even if Rachel's not. So they head home, and as they do, they see a comet streak across the sky. And Marco says, well, it's a tragedy that that didn't hit the school. And then Cassie gets this overwhelming feeling of everything being intimately familiar and yet completely different and wrong. And she just brushes it aside. Okay, so now we take a left turn into Sad Town. Yay. Yay. We We cut to Tobias's perspective where he wakes up on the couch at his uncle's house. The couch is sagging and it smells like cigarettes, but it was better than his room where his uncle had gotten drunk and passed out the night before. Why? We're just, we're in Tobias's like space and it's immediately sad. Just. Mm -hmm. Why did your uncle pass out in your room? That's also a great question. He was drunk. Who can explain what drunk people do? Maybe he like went looking for Tobias and he like blew his door open and then saw he wasn't in there and just like went to bed on the floor (laughs) yeah or he like went in there to so when tobias got home he'd like yell at him about like this is my house and blah 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 blah. you owe me for everything blah, and then passed out when he was waiting piece of shit i also thought it was like his room or someone else's room and it's just for the bathroom who knows what happened in there true (laughs) here's a there's a bed here i can sleep there it lays on the floor (laughs) (laughs) oh i laugh but it's so sad Yeah, it sucks. Ugh, poor Tobias. Um, And it just gets worse from here. So he gets ready for school and he heads out to the bus stop, successfully dodging the bullies that usually wait for him. He talks a little bit about Jake and how Jake saved him once from some bullies, and now those guys don't bother him, but these other two bullies with the most idiotic names ever, a.k.a. (laughs) Andy and Tap Tap. What the fuck? Whatever. Tap Tap. I just... (laughs) All right. Like, I would bully Tap Tap. (laughs) Fuck that guy. Anyways, so Jake saved him from his former bullies, but now there's Andy and Tap Tap. And Tobias goes through his day trying to hide out from them. But finally, he realizes he really does have to pee after holding it in for like eight hours. So he goes into the bathroom and he in there, unfortunately, are Andy and Tap Tap and two other guys he's never seen before. And he tries to tell them, like, pick on someone your own size. But they're like, no, Tobias, you're so weak and easy. And then they actually, like, kick the shit out of him, which is something that he said hadn't happened before. Like, they punched him in the kidneys and, like, yeah, you know, pushed him around, that sort of stuff. But he said actually, like, punching, kicking, like, laying on the floor in a ball, <sighs> kicking him, hurting him before. They had not done. 
This was and, so incredibly uh, stressful to read. Yeah. Yeah, it, oh. it is. It is. It was very well written from the perspective of somebody who's had the shit kicked out of them. Yeah. But once they're done, they leave him in pain on the bathroom floor, and he's saying how his clothes are wet with the toilet water that's on the ground, but he doesn't want to get up, and... The two strangers say, hey, you don't have to live like this. And they hand him, like, a business card. And after the guy leaves and he's done crying, he takes a look at the card and it says, the sharing. Oh, fuck. Okay. First of all, fucking sucks. But also, however, you're like, okay, I understand, like, the sharing told, like, hey, we're going to find someone who's, like, clearly having a rough time and, like, welcome them into our group. But also, if I were a yerk pretending to be a kid or whatever i would at least make more more of an effort to be like i don't know maybe help this kid up or something not just like oh man that sucks huh anyway here's a business card okay bye like yeah like let's just stand there and watch him get killed like beat up and then we'll hand him a business card say hey you don't have to be such a loser and then leave like yeah okay a little a little more effort also i just wanted someone to help him up yeah, like that would have helped sway him that further like sway him to their side too. Like Yeah. But I guess Yorks don't care about humans really. No. Cuz like they later they defend him, but that's because like he's, you know, he's already in it. In with yeah. them kind of, yeah. So, yeah. not to jump ahead, but I'm going to cut next to Cassie cuz the next place we go is to Cassie's head. <laughs> So Cassie can't sleep. She's having dreams of a voice in her head calling out to be saved. She shakes it off and sneaks downstairs. It's like 3 a.m. She thinks about getting some ice cream, but as she opens the freezer, another wave of this voice hits her. My boy! She also has a very weird dialogue about Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> not wanting to eat too much ice cream so that she, like, looks beautiful for Jake or something. Oh, it's very no. weird. Cassie, no. it's like, Cassie, you're, like, 13 at most. I mean... Please don't stress yeah. about this now. Yeah, it won't affect you until another five to ten years. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true for, like, a teenage girl to worry about that. But, like, also, like, honey, don't. It's fine. Don't listen right? to society. Yeah. Society's stupid. Like, Don't listen to wonderful. society, and also Jake would never care. Yeah. We just had to take that moment to defend Jake and his integrity. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, um, she after she decides not to partake in the Ben and Jerry's, she decides to head out to the barn to see the animals. And she starts checking on them all. She pours out a little extra grain for the injured goose, even though he doesn't really need it. And she remembers that Marco said it smells in here. And she kind of shakes herself. She's like, wait a minute. Marco has never been in here. And as she moves around the barn, she's getting these kind of waves of familiarity like she can see Marco laying back on the hay, but Marco's never been there. And she can see Rachel pacing, but... That's not quite right. And then she keeps looking up to the rafters where she can see a hawk, almost. And she thinks she must be losing it. Which Mm. I loved this chapter. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I love the, like, hints of, like, Cassie going, like, there's something wrong. I can't put my finger on it. What is it? And, like, in the back of your mind, if you've, like, of course, read the story, you're like, yes, that's right. Cassie has, like, all these weird special, like, you know, not, not abilities, but, like yeah connection mm-hmm. whatever um, yeah I forget, what is the term that they use that she's like ar- she artistically temporally or grounded oh or yeah. non-temporally grounded yeah one of those well that two. too 
I wrote it. I wrote it later. Okay. <laughs> uh, in a yes. stream? Is that what you meant? Um. Well, there or was the that. There's. Yeah, that's anyway, it. Cassie's amazing, basically. <laughs> like. Yeah, basically. <laughs> She's like a magical girl. Ooh. Yeah, and the other thing I loved about this was Tobias never got the vision. So their idea that Tobias <gasps> yeah. only got the like could only hear yeah. the voice because he was a Nothlet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, I didn't yes, even think yes. about that. Oh, who's Man. going to save my son? The attention to detail. Ah, oh. <laughs> dude. This book made me also want to go back and read like the other books uh-huh. that it's referencing. And I was like, yeah, I want to go back and reread Axe Getting Rescued from Under the Ocean. Just, yes. Just oh. reread all of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then make a podcast about it. Yes. I have a great idea. <laughs> I'll just go back and listen to your podcast. It'll be the same thing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, except it's just my terrible recaps that don't even do it justice, so not not oh. at all true i don't know it's missing so like it's they're just so worth a read maybe the ghostwriter is sure but oh, these, are, these are just so good to read i just love these books so much yeah they still hold up that they do i, I not to derail real quick but i had like a whole conversation with my mom when i was telling her that i was recording this today and she was like oh animorphs and i was like yeah and i was like they still hold up and then i like proceeded to explain the whole thing about like oh you know they have to do with war and then like the traumas of it and blah blah whatever and i could tell that she was humoring me by listening but i was also just kind of like it's it's fine i'll save this for the podcast it's fine <laughs> oh, that's awesome. i i usually just stop like i'll ask somebody like oh have you read animorphs and they'll be like no and then i'll just kind of stop i won't even like bother explaining <laughs> well the thing was is that she watched the tv show that oh really um, but yeah but she watched it because i Sorry to watch it because, again, I read Animorphs and then I gave up because I was mm-hmm. like, this is bad. But I guess she said she kept watching it. So she's familiar with it. She kept watching it? <laughs> I guess. That's what she said to me, <laughs> which is Ugh. wild. But she likes sci-fi things. So it's understandable, I guess, in some way. That is understandable. Okay, let's get to my boy. I love that so much. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about your boy. <laughs> yes. So... We cut to Casey's boy. <laughs> he is charging towards a bundle of sticks that was a placeholder for a horkbizer. He runs past it and snaps his tail, and as he surges past, he slices its head cleanly off. He wasn't sure how long he could stay down here. He ran the numbers in the bottom of the ocean, in the dome ship, and it seems like it was many years, but like, how long could he actually stay down here? And he goes through a few scenarios in his head, like, you know, a finger and the others must be dead. Otherwise, they would have tried to contact me. But maybe they're not. Maybe. And the best one that he comes up with in all of his theories was maybe Elfangor made, like, a team of guerrilla fighters and, like, is telling them how to, like, fight the Yerks. You know? That's something <laughs> oh, he would Axe. do. Oh, oh Axe. Uh, he decides his only other option than staying down here in the dome ship forever is to get one of these ocean-dwelling earth creatures he sees swimming past and morph. But he's scared. So how did you like your boy in this chapter? <laughs> My boy! He's doing he's doing so well by himself. He is. He's not panicking mm-hmm. or... Just following his cadet training. Yeah. Trying to think yeah. things through. Trying to keep himself busy. Again, I feel like everything... Everything in this book was designed to wound specifically, well, I wouldn't say me, but all of us. I'm just like, I just <laughs> want him to be around people. He's oh. by himself. Someone rescue him. I know. And I was like, <laughs> if they if they can't morph, then who's going to save him? He's going to have to save himself. 
Which I, I know he's totally yeah. capable of doing, but like... Yes. I'm concerned. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially because things are going so well for Aww. Tobias. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we cut then to Tobias, who made it to the sharing. This dude named Bill was teaching him how to shoot pool. Bill was his guide. This is an older dude that all the people get on their second visit to the sharing. Like a weird sort of mentor kind of guy. Just a guy. Um, So he was there to answer any questions and convince people to become full members. But for now, he was just teaching Tobias how to shoot pool. And Tobias was getting better at it. And when he sunk a ball, Bill complimented him. And Tobias felt really good about it, despite himself. Because he doesn't really get compliments or... He's not really good at anything, so... my poor sweet Tobias. um, After a while, some sort of bell chimed, and everyone gathered around to listen to their cult leader talk about the sharing. (laughs) And then (laughs) Tobias spotted Tom. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. It is. Not wrong. The the further we get into this, the more cult-like it becomes, and I am just screaming at Tobias at some points when I was reading this. Like... I really liked being in a sharing meeting and, like, getting kind of the inside view of it. Because we've only ever gotten either, like, an yeah. outside perspective or, like, somebody saying, this is what it's like to be in it. But we've never actually, like, experienced yes. it mm-hmm. before. Also, they fucking took his social security number? What the fuck? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Reading that one, you're like, putting <laughs> all, like, you know, your random information, like, your name, your social security oh, number. God. I was like, wait, what? This was before, like, cybersecurity, right? <laughs> like... Yeah. Well, you still shouldn't. Like, even I then. I mean, I don't. Right? But also, he's like, what? 12, 13? He's probably like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Oh, they ask me weird no. questions. It's fine. Fuck. Okay, I have I have a question. Um, Because I don't know. Is it common to have to know your secure, social security number when you're that young? When you're that no. young? I don't think so. Because I feel like no. you need to know it when you start working. And he's only... Mm-hmm. Again, twelve, thirteen. So you yeah. couldn't work. Yeah, so I don't. I okay. don't think you should have to I've, know it at that young. Like I've only needed it for like apartment applications and like job stuff and like signing up mm-hmm. for like services like electricity or plumbing. Like I've never, never before I was yeah, an illegal like adult. He... I think. Okay, I just didn't know. I didn't know if this was like a super common thing. No. Okay, so Tobias is special, and he knows his social security <laughs> number. <laughs> I will say, though, for Tobias, speech. maybe he would need to know it. Like, it's not like any of the other adults in his life are probably going to. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, probably for school applications and stuff. Like, actually mm-hmm. enrolling, he would probably have to know it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good that's point. A good point. Oh. Assuming you need that to enroll. I don't know. An extra dimension of sad. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to go on because I'm really excited about this next chapter because yes. it makes me laugh. Yes. So um, the only other thing <laughs> I was going to say there is Tobias saw Jake and Tom at the meeting, and that's where Tobias finds out that, that Tom is a super duper member and everybody loves him. Whatever. <laughs> so we cut to Marco. He was in the IMAX theater at the Museum of Natural History. Their class was on a field trip, and they'd already seen all the exhibits that they were going to see. So now they're in an IMAX movie about the majesty of DNA, which is <laughs> awesome. I hope it's the one they played on Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little prick here. Oh, John, that hurt. <laughs> okay. This is not about my knowledge of dialogue in Jurassic Park. Let's move right <laughs> So Marco was sitting next to and subsequently annoying Rachel. 
And he was saying many things about her in his head that were very inappropriate and cringy, but we'll move right along past that. Oh, boy. Uh, he said that it was, <laughs> was kind of gross. My favorite one, though, that I did write down was he's like, you know, I think like it's going really well with Rachel. She's kind of laughing at my jokes. This is okay. Like She's trying to play mad, but I can kind of see her smiling. And he's like... You know, if we end up going out and Jake's like, you know, he's my best friend in the whole world and the one person I can trust. And, you know, if he doesn't approve of this, I'm really going to miss Jake. <laughs> I died. I was like, this is so funny. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> so he yes. and Rachel are cracking pop culture jokes back and forth. And uh, then the screen goes up in an acidic burn because the film wore out and the kids are all like, Yay! And they file out of the theater, and Marco barely manages to catch up to Rachel, and he talks about her ability to definitely maneuver through crowds and, like, how she just commands space. Um, Melissa makes a bathroom run alone, which Marco's like, oh, wow, girls never do that. And I was like, oh, fuck off, Marco. <laughs> um, and, but whatever. He's really excited about his alone time with Rachel. So right as he's trying to say something witty, he spots a woman behind Rachel, and it looks exactly like his mom. So he's like kind of mid-sentence and Rachel's like, dude, what's your problem? And he actually physically moves Rachel aside and he goes, that's my mom. And Rachel's like, cool, go say hi, whatever. And then Marco takes off running and Rachel's like, wait a minute, isn't your mom? And then we cut. (laughs) Because, yeah, Yeah. Rachel just remembered his mom died. (sighs) Which is also like such a good point for Rachel. Like she doesn't know Marco well enough to like probably remember that right away like okay yeah go say hi to your mom then like oh wait (laughs) oh wait whoops yeah (laughs) Uh, i knew marco liked her i knew it yeah oh yeah for sure (laughs) i mean you know beyond the extent of like marco just being like oh yeah she's hot until like oh we're there but also the fact that it's just like oh yeah that, that they banter like yeah. well-ish back and forth and they yeah. kind of have a mutual respect for mm-hmm. each other's yeah mm, yeah i always have kind of a chemistry of. yeah that was a good chapter that was yeah that was like peak marco and rachel banter and it was great absolutely yeah i loved it <laughs> there there are some some pretty good jokes in there mm-hmm. there's some great jokes in there were so many pop culture jokes though that i had to like google i'm like who who are you what oh yeah there are enough i was just like okay i know i was alive in the 90s but some of these are going over my head i was a wee bear yeah okay oh we have to talk about casey's boy yay I'm sorry back yay. into it back to axe yeah <laughs> so axe has waited for days on his ship trying to coerce a sea creature into his airlock not any sea creature, because he's gotten some stupid fish. He doesn't really like the stupid fish. He's been observing them, and they just get eaten. He doesn't want that. He wants the angry triangle monster. <laughs> With the big fish. A pointy fish. He wants the angry triangle monster. That's what he calls it. <laughs> so cute. Uh, so he waits and waits until finally the triangle monster swims into the airlock, and then he springs the trap. He, like, puts up the thing, and the shark is caught in this airlock, and Axe isn't sure what draining all the water will do. He's like, maybe as soon as it's out of the water, it dies. I don't I don't really know. So he instructs the computer to take it down to just 10% of the water. And then he's like, okay, cool. Then create a force field on this side of it so I can jump into the water tank with him. So he does. 
And his first instinct is just jump in there and try to acquire it. And the shark still has enough maneuverability to attack him no less than three times. <laughs> like, this thing is just, like, flipping and turning and chomping at him. And Axe kind of is able to fend it off with his tail blade against its nose, like, pushing it away. But even its skin rubs up against one of his legs, and he gets scraped up and starts bleeding. So he jumps back out of the airlock, and then he's like, damn, I've been stupid. And he tells the computer, make another force field to keep it in, like, a rectangular box so it can't move. And uh, so he does, and he's finally able to acquire the triangle monster. He got a tiger shark, right? Uh, I don't think they specify at any point, but... I was trying to think back to the fourth book. That that makes more sense to think of what what thing he actually acquired. I was just like, it sounds like a great one. I mean, it's I a diverging timeline, so but I don't know. The way they describe it definitely make it sounds like a great yeah. white shark, but I I think it was not in the fourth book, but I don't know. Um, anyway, I was also thinking if I were in Axe's situation, I would not acquire a shark, but that's also because I'm a big old weenie. So <laughs> be like, give me one of those fish. I'll just swim real fast and hope I don't die. But if you had a box to put it in, if, if you could make a holding box, you'd probably do it. I guess. That's true. Maybe. It would have to so, be a very tight hold. Yeah, it's super tight. I just have a lot of faith in your shark wrangling skills. I just <laughs> oh, want you, you to know. I think you'd be excellent at it. Thank you. I don't, but... So you won't do that thing where you're in the cage and the shark swims around you? <laughs> Definitely not, no. That sounds amazing. Um, uh, Casey, what else were you going to say before I rudely interrupted you? I thought it was interesting how he kept like hitting it on the nose because that's what they tell you to do if a shark yeah. attacks you is just like punch it in the nose or something. Yeah. I, I kind of felt I feel like I've they been led astray. To hit the nose. But the nose yeah. is also so close to the mouth. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to get that close either. If it had have bit his tail blade though, Ooh, like I feel oh. like it would have just cut the shark. Yeah. Ooh. Seems like a low stakes game. But he got a shark, which is good. Um, oh, we cut to a very different scene. Are you guys ready for this very different scene? Yeah, I am. We cut to Rachel running behind Marco, having no real idea why she's pursuing this woman, other than it's kind of fun. So she's running, and Marco's mom starts running, and she was ahead of them, but they are gaining on her because she's taking a moment to, like, dial a giant brick of a cell phone and head towards a door. <laughs> 90s tech. Cut. 90s tech. That's great. Um, so Rachel's like, big mistake dialing your giant phone and then going to a revolving door. And the revolving door did slow her down, but as soon as Marco jumped into it to follow her, his mom turns around and slams the door into him and reverses it right into Marco's face, giving him a bloody nose. Marco tells Rachel, stay on her. And Rachel's like, I'm kind of impressed with Marco. He can really focus. So she goes out the side door, starts looking around, but Marco's mom is nowhere in sight. Rachel realizes, okay, she's wearing a wig, so I have to start looking for somebody with probably dark hair based on Marco. So she starts looking around for anybody with dark hair doing the exact opposite of what she thinks that they should be doing. And sure enough, Marco joins her, and as they're looking around, they see his mom coming up the stairs with a bunch of old people. And Rachel locks eyes with her, and in Marco's mom's eyes, she sees this intense hatred of her. And Rachel takes just a split second before she's like, I returned that hate. Like, it immediately, like, welled up in me, and all of a sudden, I had that, too. And then they all take off running. Rachel and Marco are pursuing his mom down a busy street, and now and then his mom bolts into traffic and shit like that, almost gets hit by a car, and Rachel kind of admires this. 
And then they chase her until she turns down an alley. And they're like, we have her. But as they turn the corner, she's not in their sight line. So they see a couple of likely hiding spaces. There's behind a dumpster and behind a stack of bottles. They look at each other before they nod and start quietly moving forward. But they barely have time before Marco's mom jumps up from behind the stack of bottles and swings one at Rachel, catching her across the head. Rachel's stunned, but is able to kind of drop down and kick out, which sends Marco's mom kind of tumbling backwards. And then Marco's mom shatters the bottle on the ground, creating a sharp, deadly weapon and is like brandishing the bottle at two kids. Hooray. <laughs> um, about that time, some giant guys show up. They grab Marco, but Rachel picks up a bottle, slams it on the guy's arm, and he drops Marco. They kind of dodge, and they're ducking out of there, and they're able to, like, kick a bottle at somebody else and then dodge around them, and they keep running down the alley right into a dead end. These guys are starting to catch up to him when Rachel spots a fire escape. She backs up and says to Marco, run over here, and cups her hands below her waist. And he's like, this is insane, because she's going to boost him up there, but she's like, just do it. So he does. He runs at her. She boosts him up. He barely catches the ladder, and it's one of those, like, spring ones that come down off of, you know, fire escapes. And they both start climbing, and luckily they're children, so they're very light, and the spring draws back up as they're getting towards the top so the big dudes can't get them. And they think they're home free for a second until all of a sudden there's loud booms all around them. And Rachel can't even comprehend what this this is at first. And right as she realizes it's guns, because Marco said they're shooting at us, she's like, what the fuck? And then the big guys start firing laser guns at them. It is so much more stressful when these kids can't morph. And I'm just like, well, they just, oh no, they can't. They're just (sighs) soft humans. Oh no. Oh no. It's like run, I guess. That's (laughs) your only option. That's it. (laughs) Fuck. I loved it, though. I love that Rachel's like, "Uh, he's way shorter than me. I'll just boost him up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I also like that Rachel's like, oh, we're running now? Great. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm down for this. (laughs) I like to run. (laughs) This whole time she was like in her head she's like oh we're chasing marco's mom this is great she's like my prey i'm the predator oh she hates me i hate her more oh you want to hit me with a bottle i'll fuck you up (laughs) she's 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 just loving this yeah how do you get this way she has (laughs) you just start that way (laughs) she was born with 50 percent more rage than any other child (laughs) (laughs) So Axe is looking out into the ocean, trying to psych himself up for this morph. He was getting ready to go to Shark. So he starts this morph in the airlock, and then he his eyes go dark, and he realizes, oh, his stock eyes have disappeared, but it freaks him out enough that he automatically reversed the morph and kind of freaked out before he gives himself a moment to say, okay, this is just a gut reaction. Fear is good. Fear is what keeps you alive. So he calms down. He starts the morph again. And then something goes flying past the dome ship. It's a bug fighter. Axe then starts morphing as fast as possible because he has to get out of here. And as soon as he hits shark, he takes off into the ocean. And he's having this moment where the morph is kind of impacting him. And he's saying, this is my ocean now. I am the biggest dog here, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So he starts heading away from the dome ship. And behind him, he hears this large boom. And he knew that they had blown the dome ship apart. And he's listening to this and in his head he's saying oh i can see like or i can hear the uh branches you know cracking and breaking on the tree and like everything flooding and breaking apart and this was my home and now it's gone but he keeps swimming away from it 
The bug fighter, once it has destroyed the dome ship, comes after him. And he was hit once or twice, but he didn't really feel the pain. And he was so maneuverable that he was getting away pretty easily because the bug ship underwater had to, you know, kind of bear all the way around and bow out to turn. And he could turn over the length of his body pretty quickly. So he got away from the bug ship or it gave up, whatever. Um, and then ahead of him, they start dropping Taxon into the water. Axe had only heard of Taxon before at this point, and he knew only two things. One, that these were the only creatures that were voluntarily infested, and two, if he fell before them in battle, he would meet a gruesome end. Luckily, they were no match for the shark, who just immediately goes into a frenzy, tearing them apart and killing them all. And that's Axe. And I had forgotten that they actually did drop Taxon into the water that attacked all of the Animorphs until I read that. Yeah. It's like, weren't they, like weirdly strong swimmers or like if not strong swimmers and like good-ish swimmers mm-hmm. so they like move like kind of fast yeah they would like swallow the water and like push it out their butts <laughs> uh, yeah and i was like oh right taxon in the water oh god it's scary oh wait he's a shark it's fine <laughs> i loved when he got scared when his eyesight went because andalites rely on their eyesight so much and i was just like i wonder if he always mm-hmm. feels that way when he morphs something with only two eyes. Well, that's being their tell. Whenever they say uh, an Andalite is morphed to like a human or whatever, they always say, oh, their tell is that they keep trying to look all the way around them because yeah. they, they hate only being able to see one direction. Yeah. So. Which I mean, I guess Axe, since he's morphed to so many animals mm-hmm. now or in the correct timeline, maybe is like a little bit more used to it, but I can definitely see mm-hmm. how like, oh, you know, first time doing like a big morph and she's like, oh God, my eyes. And there was that one time where he, like, morphed a Harrier for the first time, and he was like, wow, my eyesight's so good. And Tobias is like, well, mine's better. I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> I love Tobias' oh. bird elitism so much. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that bird's okay. It's mostly just a big bully in the sky, but, you know, fine. If you like a golden eagle, whatever. <laughs> I just, and, like, that's the only time we really oh. see him like that, because he's always so, like, down on himself, but then... He, like, fully recognizes how awesome it is to be a hawk and how, like, how good stuff is. And I'm just like, oh. I think the other part of that that I love so much is, like, he's never, like, prideful about anything. And this is the Mm -hmm. one thing. And it's such a harmless thing to be like, I'm way better than a golden eagle. I just love it. I mean, even when he's back in human morph, too, he's like, ugh, stupid human eyes. Garbage. Good for anything. (laughs) This is garbage. I can drink Pepsi, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He can do that. Uh. <laughs> well, speaking of Tobias, and we uh, are kind of headed that direction in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we first we cut to Jake, who is watching Tom, who is standing in his doorway, pressuring Jake to accompany him to the sharing. <sighs> Jake's like, I would not like to do that, but it seemed like Tom needed me there like a security blanket. And Tom's like, please, there's going to be like this super cool guy there, Mr. Vizzer himself, yeah. and... At that moment, Jake gets a weird flash in his head of a blue alien man with eyes on snake-like stalks, and he kind of shakes it off, like, what the fuck was that? Uh, But then he agrees to go with Tom. He's like, listen, if it means so much to you, I'll go with you. And right as he says that, the phone rings in the hallway. Tom goes to answer it and then hands it to Jake, saying it's his sweetie, which embarrasses him. (laughs) And it's Cassie! (laughs) So she's on the line, stumbling over, asking him to come over to study with her. And he can hear Rachel in the background, like, just ask him already, or I'll do it for you! (laughs) (laughs) 
loved this so whole he thing. tells cassie no i love this whole thing so much <laughs> so he tells cassie no and she's like oh and he's like no 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 i would love to come study with you more than anything except for getting basketball tips from michael jordan himself but that's the only thing <laughs> but he said to tom he'd go to the sharing with him and he doesn't want to go back on his promise and cassie has a really odd reaction to hearing the sharing she has this like really kind of negative wave of like oh and he's like why what's wrong and she's like i can't i can't explain it i can't even explain it to myself it, it's just weird sorry sorry and uh then he goes okay what about tomorrow night would that work better and cassie's like that would be great and uh then he goes and uh tell rachel i hope she's like doing okay after what happened to her and marco today and cassie's like what what happened and uh, then there was a moment of, like, yelling back and forth on the phone of Cassie being like, you didn't tell me what happened. And Rachel being like, I didn't want you to worry. It's fine. We're all alive. And then Jake agrees to let Cassie get off the phone to go kill Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> also, apparently Mark, Marco and Rachel are dating, which is weird. Right. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I like when... Basically, when they get to just, like, whenever the kids get to ban- banter back and forth as kids, like, mm-hmm. when Jake's just like, mm, okay, go kill Rachel now. Like, <laughs> it's such a funny moment. Yeah. In that it's like, oh, Jake, humor. Remember that? I remember when oh, Jake had humor sometimes. Yeah. I just love it so much. His innocence. Casey, how long have you been saying that you have such a hard time rating Jake because you don't see that? And now here we are. I, oh my god. This is such a different book, though. This is such a like, more slice of life type book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to answer that. I just love them all. It's been a while since we've seen... I mean, Jake especially, I think, just yeah. being a kid. Like, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. so far at this point into like the him being the leader who's got like old, tired eyes and looks like a middle-aged man trapped in like a 13-year-old kid's body that... <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to remember sometimes they're like oh yeah right before this he was just like a kid who tried out for the basketball team and had a crush on his cousin's best friend and yeah yeah Mm -hmm. his humanity is really showing and like i don't know humanity maybe that's not the right word but like i don't know like alex always said that book one jake was the best jake because he was still a kid and I think mm-hmm. we see that here, too. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you hadn't told me that I said that to you, I would have no idea I told you that. Really? You said it, you said it quite a few times. <laughs> I, I remember saying it now, but if you had just said that offhand, I would have been like, that's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd thought of it. Oh, wait. <laughs> I wish I had said that. Damn it. <laughs> oh, fuck. Tobias was finally feeling like he belonged, which is a really weird feeling for him. He had been going to the sharing for a while now, and he felt super comfortable there. Bill was still his mentor, but now he was beating Bill at pool, and he had decided that he was going to become a full member because of an incident two days earlier. Andy and TapTap had tried to bully him in the locker room in front of a bunch of other kids. So originally he thought he was safe because there was other people around, but then it didn't seem to matter. And then two guys from the sharing had stepped in and scared them off. One by threatening murder via dumbbell. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Yeah. That is an actual way to murder somebody that has been done. So super cool, guys. Hey. 
Tobias tells Bill that he's going to become a full member, and then he and Bill have a super awkward <laughs> Voldemort Draco esque moment. <laughs> Thank God you said that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well done, Draco. <laughs> it was. It was. Okay, so it was exactly like that. Like, he gave him, like, a weird arm's length hug, and then he's like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Welcome to the collective. Like, just so you know, everybody has to give up something to be part of a bigger whole. Oh, my and, God. But we all are, you know. Like, it was super Voldemort Drake and Draco. Up. Oh, my God. I'm dying. Oh, that's very funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> we go from this weird moment of that hug and, like, after Bill finishes his whole spiel, Tobias is released and he notices that Tom is there. And so he starts looking around for Jake and then he sees Jake and Jake walks up to talk to him. And Tobias is really pleased by this. Like, wow, for once I wasn't like the puppy following him around. Like he came to talk to me. And Tobias says to Jake, hey, man, I'm going to become a full member. And Jake says congratulations, but he hesitated for a moment. And Tobias is like kind of, almost offended and he's like why don't you join and you know we can do it together and we can hang out blah blah blah. and jake goes no 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 and they get into a bit of an argument where jake's like i'm sorry i'm not trying to offend you it's just this isn't my thing and tobias is like why not like they accepted me they did all this stuff for me and it's this really sad moment of tobias like finally wanting to do something to make him happy and jake the guy that he looks up to is resisting it and it offends Tobias because he's like, I want you to think my decision is right and good. And so they have this weird exchange and then they end on this awkward note where Jake just says, it's like, you you do you, man. Like, congratulations. I hope it's everything you want it to be. And then Jake walks away. This is like such a good contrast, I guess, to like where the two of them are and why like Tobias needs the sharing and Jake doesn't. Because like Jake is like, mm-hmm. you know, what does he say? He's like, when people just start talking about, like, the individual has to give way to the group or whatever, I just get kind of, like, jumpy. And it makes sense that, like, even though Tom has been in the sharing forever and keeps pushing Jake, like, Jake doesn't need the sense of belonging or whatever mm-hmm. that Tobias does. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, it's not working on Jake because he's like, I, I don't have this desire to be, like, a part of anything. Like, yeah. I'm fine where I am right now in my life, more or less. Yeah. And... Tobias is like obviously this thing is like geared right towards people like Tobias and right towards most people like I think this is a moment of like Jake being extremely exceptional because you have to have so much confidence in yourself to Mm -hmm. say like I don't need to follow this and I don't need to do this and what like middle schooler has that confidence (laughs) yeah actually that makes me think too like do we ever hear I can't remember it's been so long do we ever hear how like Tom joined the sharing for a pretty girl he followed oh, a pretty right. girl there and got infested. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I don't even think he joined. I think he stumbled into a secret meeting yeah. that he shouldn't have and he was taken by force. Yeah. Ah, okay. It'd been so long I'd forgotten. Poor Tom. So I love how Jake says like he doesn't want to be part of something bigger and he doesn't want to be like a part of that kind of team. And it's like, Mm -hmm. he does, though. He does become part of something bigger. And he is the leader of a team. And I just think that's a really powerful moment. This is that that quote, though, of like, Jake is the person that has had greatness thrust upon them, not the person that was seeking it out. Right, right. (sighs) But yeah, you're right. He does become part of a (laughs) team and a whole. Yeah, he becomes this thing he never wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
just the way that this book sets up like character dynamics and ways to play off each other is just so good mm-hmm. again like of course of course yeah. Catherine wrote this book you can like feel it in the way there's like okay now i'm gonna put these two characters together so you can see like how they play off each other I'm like yes it's just it's so good yeah like you can feel the desperation of tobias being like join with me like think i'm doing this thing good <laughs> like, right it, i need your approval it's so good oh <sighs> yeah yeah i need your approval i don't know why but i need your approval mm-hmm I hurt inside. <laughs> oh, well, would you like to hurt more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Heck yeah. So uh. we stay in Tobias's head. Uh, he's taken into a room with three other people. There's a lady named Kiko, a cop, and a music producer guy. And Tobias kind of shares a little bit of small talk with the music producer, who we find out is there because he has a band that he really believes in. And the sharing has promised that if he joins them, they'll help promote this band that he's trying to get famous. (laughs) So they share a little bit of small talk about that band. Um, Kiko gets called in first, and then Tobias gets called in second. And it's Bill that comes to get him. And Bill kind of startles Tobias at first. Tobias jumps and Bill's like, hey, man, lay off the coffee. Ha ha ha. <laughs> uh, and then Bill leads him down a hallway through a door. There's a scanner on the door and Bill's like, oh, it's just all for show. Don't be nervous. They go down this flight of metal stairs and Tobias is starting to panic as he's following Bill. He's getting this sense of like, this isn't right. This isn't good. What's happening? But Bill keeps encouraging him, saying, it's fine, it's fine, it looks weird, It's but it's just part of, a you know, the, the tradition. It's fine. So they make it into a chamber where Mr. Vizzer is there, Chapman, and Kiko. And when he looks at Kiko, her face twitches for a second and kind of scrunches on one side and then returns to normal. And Chapman starts asking him questions now to start this initiation, like, why are you here and what did you hope to get from this? And Tobias tells them like oh i just wanted to be a part of something and blah 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 and then tobias hesitates because he's hit with this sudden desire to fly away and he doesn't know where that came from so bill has to nudge him before he continues his answer of like oh i want to belong and you know i just want to be part of this whole thing and then he's hit by this other wave of i want to fly away i want to let go of the branch and soar and fly and i want to have my telescopic eyes And then Bill starts asking him, you know, place your hand in this left cuff. And he did. And when it closes, he starts to panic. And Bill says, place your right hand in the cuff. And he does. But as soon as it closes, he goes, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I want out. I want to leave. But it's way too late for that. There is some argument between Chapman and Vizzer. And then Bill slams Tobias's head down. His neck gets strapped in. And there's a metallic whirring as his head's drawn down to this small pool filled with this weird liquid. And then something touches his ear. And that's the end of that chapter. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Ah, I hate it. Just, it's so visceral. Mm -hmm. And also, the fact that, like, you, like, I don't think, you know what, let me not speculate. Basically being this close to, like, beginning of Inception of Into the sharing to like taking you into the back room to the actual infestation is just whew, it was a lot yep. um especially because mm-hmm. you can like see the point where Tobias is like i don't really know about this so much anymore oh no yeah. i definitely don't want to do this oh no now i can't so yeah like he realized it a little too late it's just like <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I don't know if they explicitly bring it up, but it's definitely implied that, like, he just has never had any call to trust his gut. Mm -hmm. So when he finds his gut saying, don't do this, he just doesn't listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, that's a good point. My baby Also, it feels right out of a horror movie that, like, obviously you're going down into, like, this weird chamber area, whatever. But then, like, when you see Kiko there and she has, like, the, like twitch in her face and then yes. it's gone you're just like oh no oh no get out <laughs> yeah there's all these indications that this is a bad bad yeah. thing yeah to us but to tobias it's all like well what does that mean i don't know yeah yeah oh, so i know if i were the sharing i would probably make like the path to actually get to the pool a little more inviting because if you're freaking them out right before they get there I don't know, maybe like some softer lighting, less weird metallic stairs, maybe nicer, perhaps the chair is nicer, some like soft fish tanks jazz playing. Yeah. <laughs> Pictures yeah. of kittens. Some inspirational yeah. posters. <laughs> Let me direct the sharing. I would be better at it. <laughs> you need more interpersonal training. Yeah. <sighs> oh my god, yeah. Yeah, let's instead of like let's build this impending sense of dread, like Yeah. Like, I'm sure Bill could have just, like, grabbed him and forced him into the room if, if he tried to run then, but, like, still. Uh, yeah. <sighs> but they were also, like, doing an experiment to see how many people are, are voluntary and, like, truly voluntary right. and how many have to be used force on. And it's like, well, yes. there this kind of factor could play into that if you wanted to be better. That's a good that. point. If you're, like, still gung-ho mm-hmm. all the way through, like this ordeal you're like no nope, i'm still good let's give the sharing points on yeah. how to infest more people <laughs> <laughs> you guys are operating about a 60 percent efficiency rate and i think i could take you at least up to like an 80 <laughs> hire me as your marketing manager <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh fuck that chapter was rough yeah well written and rough well super well written super like the sense of building dread was so intense mm-hmm. yeah um but that is that chapter's cut with probably one of the funniest chapters yes! in this whole book <laughs> i loved this Thank chapter God, for sure so we cut to axe who's asking for cookies <laughs> <laughs> he like that's how it starts he's like where are the cookies He's managed to live on Earth for several days now, and he's found the dominant species to be human. And he tells us a little bit about how his first reaction was to, like, study things similar size as him. So he looks at cows and horses <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. But, like, he realizes pretty quickly humans are the way to go. I considered cows because he was a cow in the book <laughs> where he was a cow. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> he is telling us now that he has been forcefully asked to inhabit the place where he now was by uh, the police who found him in the streets and that there was a man asking for his name. And when Axe responds, my name is Hey Moron, the long suffering (laughs) doctor rubs his forehead and sighs. That isn't a name. That's just something somebody called you once. Axe goes, can I have cookies now? And the doctor says, Actually, you freaked out everybody the last time you had cookies, so there's no cookies. And Axe goes, well, if there are no cookies, then I must leave. <laughs> so he waits until nightfall and busts out of the insane asylum that he's found himself in. Oh, my in. God. <laughs> I, so the way that they set this up, it was all inferred, and we had to basically deduce that he was in a mental yeah. institution. Like, they never just said, like, oh, yes. they carted me off to what the humans call a mental institution. Like, we, it was all inferred. Yeah. And it's just so brilliant. I also love the fact that um, when he was telling us about it, he was like, 
I made a terrible mistake and somebody saw me as an alien. But then I realized, like, everybody here thinks they're an alien. So it was fine. (laughs) There's, like, a point later on where Axe says something about, like, your species. And then the guy calls him on it. And he's like, wait, you said your species. And, like, I meant our species. Like, well, evidently I'm insane. May I go now? Like, (laughs) the humor in this is so, one, needed. And then, two, it's just so funny. Just... Yes. Of course Axe would end up here. Oh. I think this is my favorite chapter of any book ever. (laughs) (laughs) This is like my favorite Axe shit. Like, ugh. I want a whole book from the perspective of the doctor that's just so (laughs) done with this bullshit. (laughs) Uh, You're right. I totally forgot the the evidently I'm insane. (laughs) (laughs) There aren't any cookies here, so I'm going to go. That is legitimately the deciding factor. I love him. (laughs) Had they been willing to give him more Oreos, which we have to, again, infer that's the brand he likes. But had they given him more Oreos, he would have stayed there forever. (laughs) (laughs) He also mentions eating Vaseline. And I'm like, honey, no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And cigarette butts again. Yes. He found his way back to cigarette butts. But he loves those cigarette butts. (laughs) Yeah, I assume he morphs his way out of a nicotine addiction, but there's something there. Because <laughs> the difference in nicotine because he eats too many cigarette butts. Every time he morphs back to human, he's just like, you know what I really want? Oh, no. Cigarette butts. Cinnabons and cigarette butts. And somebody tries to give him a nicotine patch what? and he tries to eat it. Please someone introduce Axe to Dare. Oh, no. Do they have cookies at Dare? He's he's wonderful. Truly. He's so wonderful. He's just unbridled enthusiasm is what he is a ray of sunshine in this dark and dreary book yeah and he's so needed because like the next chapter we cut right back to tobias and it is so brutal (laughs) so i'll get into it so tobias feels something entering his ear and it doesn't exactly hurt but it's something crawling into his head and he felt it take over his whole body and we get our usual he couldn't get up without saying so he couldn't twitch he couldn't blink he couldn't focus his eyes on what he wanted to and the first thing that happens is he hears himself talking and asking to be let up because he was really uncomfortable but he didn't try to speak so this just baffles him and then his arm moves and his body moves but it wasn't him he's paralyzed his mind was then opened up and read and there's that slow exchange of information as you know mr visitor's asking for a report the yerk in his head, he finds out is named Odrette, and the yerk starts opening up different, you know, files, as they so call it, memories and things in Tobias's head. Um, and Tobias finds out from the yerk that he, the Odrette is allied with Visor 1 and not Visor 3. So when Visor 3 asks for the update from the Council of 13, Odrette says, I'm bringing the news that you must not openly invade Earth. You must quietly take it. And then Bill rushes into the room and interrupts all of them by saying, on the TV, there's an Andalite. Another very visceral reaction. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot that, like, as you're reading it, is very intense about, like, because we've heard about taking over before. Like, we know, we've seen from Jake's perspective what it's like to have a yerk in your head. But, like, mm-hmm. it's, again, for the very first time, it's happening. Yeah. It also feels, like, different, too, since it's, like, compounded with the idea that, like, Tobias went to the sharing voluntarily. So it's, mm-hmm. like... It's obviously not that he expected this to happen, but the idea that, like, oh, no, you know what's coming. We know what's coming. Yeah. But Tobias had no idea yeah. what was coming. Yeah. Don't like it. Don't like it. I don't like it either. 
Well, now we kick it into a huge action sequence. We cut to Jake's perspective. Jake is following Tom through the front door saying, like, I'm sorry, I just wasn't into it. I just don't want to be part of the sharing. And Tom is acting very upset and hurt. And Tom is, like, going to run upstairs to his room. But then instead he's, like, whatever, just goes to the living room, flops down on the couch. And Jake goes into the kitchen where his mom is paying some bills and and the news is on in the background. And Jake's just kind of, like, dicking around in the kitchen, opening cupboards, looking for snacks. And his mom's kind of talking to him, not really. But then she gets really distracted by the TV because there's some giant centaur blue-looking deer guy on it, and all of the anchors look terrified. And Jake goes, oh, that's weird. That must be some sort of movie thing or a prank or whatever. And Jake's mom says, well, the anchors just look terrified. So she calls over to Tom. She says, Tom, put on the news. And Jake kind of has this perspective in to see Tom as like, from the kitchen. So Jake looks over as Tom switches on the news channel and sees his face just turn into this mask of rage and hatred. And Tom doesn't say anything, but he runs to the phone upstairs. And Jake doesn't know why, but he sneaks up after him. And he's listening to this phone call and he's hearing Tom's part of the conversation. And he can't hear what the other person is saying, but he can hear screaming over the other end of the phone. So Tom hangs up, he passes by Jake, and as he does, he says, cover for me. And Jake agrees like he always does, but this time it wasn't a funny joke between them. Tom was serious, and Jake thought he had spotted a gun. Uh. Jake runs up to his room, and he sneaks out of the window. He goes across the roof, checks that he's on the correct side of the fence, and then he lowers himself down, hoping the gutter will hold, and dropping the last few feet. He runs around to the garage as the door was opening, and Jake ducks under it and sneaks into the back of his mom's van. He's, like, kind of berating himself a little bit for making it bounce as he opened the back of the door and then shut it, but Tom doesn't notice. So as soon as he's in the back, he curls up behind the seat, and then Tom gets in and starts the car, and he's like, Tom's going to Channel 7. I know it. And so he pulls out, starts driving fast. Jake is like, how do I stop this? What's going on? And then he hears sirens and he's like, oh, fantastic. Tom's going to get pulled over. And then the cops pull up behind them and just go around them and start escorting Tom to Channel 7. And Jake is like, this is insane. So Tom gets to the station. He jumps out of the car. Jake waits a moment and then sneaks out of the back. And he catches the last glimpse of Tom going up the steps into the building. He follows him up there and he arrives right as the security guard started to tell Tom, oh, there's this creature. And then Tom shoots the security guard point blank in the chest and Jake thinks he's killed him. Jake just yells. No words. He just makes this shocked yell. And Tom turns and starts shooting at Jake. And the police follow his lead and start shooting at Jake as well. And the glass is shattering behind him. There's bullets ricocheting. Jake just tumbles, dodges, gets behind an alcove. And he's lucky that the shots missed, and he hides out there. He's thinking for a second that his hands are turning into giant paws with orange fur, but then he's like, okay, it must be this dress, and brushes it aside. Jake hides there for half an hour, and then Tom he sees Tom leading all of the people out in handcuffs, all of the news anchors. Next thing he sees is a car pull up with Mr. Vizzer, and he gets out of the car followed by Chapman, and the last person he saw get out of this car was Tobias. <laughs> yeah, that was our first big action sequence. I thought Jake did great. Jake was he, great. He did a good job. I just, I enjoy that he had the wherewithal to like, you know what, I should probably follow my brother. I don't know what he's up to exactly, but it seems bad. Yeah. Jake trusts his gut feelings. He went in for it. <laughs> I'm just reduced to a whimpering mess over here. <laughs> That's okay. So is everybody else in this book. So Cassie 
and Jake head out to the barn to talk because Jake, for whatever reason, wasn't comfortable in her house. And then about 10 minutes later, Rachel and Marco show up because Jake had called them. And Jake tells everybody, I've been shot at with guns and the laser guns that you saw. And everybody's like, what? Oh, this is crazy. And Cassie keeps feeling like something's wrong. And the whole time that they're talking and having their conversation in the barn, she finds her eyes sliding up towards the rafters, looking for something, and she doesn't really know what. And she sees Marco flop down on a hay bale, like he had done before, but like he has never done before. And Marco and Rachel are questioning Jake, and they're asking him, like, why why does Tom have a gun, and what can we do, and what are we going to do? And... Um, Jake just explains again, Tom had run out of the house after seeing the alien on TV. And then Cassie goes, oh, the blue alien with the stock eyes. And Jake's like, yeah, you saw the news. And she's like, no, I just know it. And then she lets them all in on the fact that she's been hearing this voice in her head for weeks now. And that that alien should be standing right here. And she points next to her. And Jake had this look like he half believes her, but he kind of half doesn't. So then they're like, Jake, what do we do? And he's really reluctant. He's like, why are you asking me? Why Why would I know? And Cassie simply says, because you're the leader. And in that moment, Ugh. she has the feeling like she has passed a horrible sentence on him. But Marco quickly follows up an agreement. <laughs> Jake's silent for just a moment. And then he says, well, we're going to have to go after Tom. That's the most logical choice. We're going to have to figure out what's happening with the sharing and if it's some sort of front. And Cassie's looking around at all of them. And she goes, that's right. Jake, the decision maker and the leader. Quick to choose now that he had to make the decision. And then Rachel says, well, we'll go get Tom. We'll tie him up and we'll threaten him, beat the shit out of him, report him to the FBI if he doesn't cooperate. And Cassie goes, right. She's the bold fighter. And then Marco goes, no, we can't do that. We have to be more subtle than that. Tom is armed and dangerous. And if we don't know who's involved in the sharing, then we can't broadcast that we're doing this. We need to be careful. And Cassie goes, right, cautious and clever. That's that's his job. And Cassie goes, things aren't right, but they're more right now than they have been the past few weeks. Oh, I love it. This was like the coolest chapter. It really yes. It's like the pieces are sliding into place. It's starting to make sense. The Animorphs are back. Yeah. They're back. Yes. And it's like sliding into their individual roles. Yeah. Ugh. And it was such a moment of victory that the next chapter just crushes. Yeah. Are you guys ready for this? Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, yes. But also no. Let's skip the next chapter. Nothing happens in it. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's irrelevant to the story. It was kind of a weird chapter. <laughs> it's just a th- it's just like a thorough chapter there's no. <laughs> all right do it tobias was a prisoner in every way that one can be imprisoned odrette had looked through all of his memories and said none of your life is worth reliving and tobias agreed and tobias hated himself Ugh. odrette was getting hungry and so they left the house and tobias's uncle says where do you think you're going and odrette goes out. out and while tobias's uncle lost his shit behind them odrette went out and waited patiently for a car to take him to the yerk pool after they arrived at the mcdonald's and gave the password they realized that there's some extra hork tailing them once they got down to the pool and his fear spiked one of them said that visor three would like a word and escorted them away from the pool and there was no way to resist these hork so they just had to go along with it they were taken into a room where Visor 3 is standing there in his Andalite body. And at first, he was asking Odrette, where, you know, are you just here to feed? And what are you doing down here? And Odrette confirmed, yeah. 
And the visitor goes, I'm sorry to disturb you, but oh, one thing. I know that you're loyal to Visor One. And Odrette is fully panicking now. And after attempting to stay loyal to Visor One and say, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm coming here with news from the council. Visor Three goes, no, I'm pretty sure you're coming here with news from Visor One and that the council never said that we couldn't do open warfare. And about 0.3 seconds when threatened with Kendrona starvation, Odrette just completely bails on Visor One and says, okay, yeah, that's, it's totally Visor One saying that the Council of Thirteen didn't give any orders to avoid open warfare. Uh, Visor One's trying to make them say that, but, you know, it hasn't happened yet, so we're just trying to stall until we get there. And Visor Three says, very good. And Odrette goes, well, I guess I'm working for you now, right? And Visor 3 goes, if you're not loyal to Visor 1, what makes you think that I can trust you? And then Hork Bajir held the Draken beam to Tobias's ear and pulled the trigger. And then that's it. And then I cry. Because it's then... terrible. Fuck. Uh, side note, before that, there was like a point in this chapter uh, where I think I highlighted it. Okay, yeah. There's like this point where basically Tobias is like, he says, all I could have done really was wait. Like, as he's, like, basically trying to convince, this sucks, my life sucks, but did it have to be this way? And he's like, all I could have done really was wait. I could have endured. I saw that now. I, it wasn't a dramatic answer. Wasn't exactly inspiring. Endure, outlast, outweigh. Which is such a sad message. Yeah. Like, the idea that, like, oh, it was really bad, but if I had just waited, maybe it would have gotten better? Which is like, oh, man, that's bleak. That's so it's bleak. technically true for him, but it's bleak. The, the yeah. very last thing he feels before he's killed is regret. And I'm just like, ouch. Mm-hmm. I hate everything. This chapter gutted me. It's the worst thing in the world. Yep. Yeah. And you always feel like, oh, maybe something happened. Because like, if this was like a main series book it would be like and then like something happened to startle the hork and he missed or blah 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 but it becomes very clear like it dawns on you as you keep reading oh no he's dead Uh he's gone this this york who's just like oh shoot starvation okay yeah no here's what was gonna happen like aren't you a york don't you have better self-preservation come on man (laughs) you're a fucking coward this (laughs) this york is a coward this york shouldn't work for anybody Right? Yurks are all pretty much bad for the most part. But, mm. like, this Yurk is the worst of the Yurks. <laughs> I mean, like, you can be bad in a Yurk, but also, like, be good at your job. Like, again, Idris. So, it just sounds yep. like I'm saying Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. Let's get more sad. Yeah. Yay. That's the theme of Animorphs. Let's get more sad. So, we cut to Jake and Marco, who are snooping around Tom's room. They're looking for anything that was out of place or odd. And Marco says to Jake, look out for traps, like hairs and drawers and things like that. And Jake is like, where the fuck do you get these ideas? And Marco (laughs) just starts saying, like, I read. (laughs) So, what does he mean by hair? So, like, if you close a door on a hair, so when you open it, it falls. So then you know. Like, just a piece of human hair. Yes. Did you watch the most recent season of Stranger Things? I, I did. I just, I don't remember. And I'm like, how would you even see that? Well, you wouldn't. Basically, as I describe it, like, you know, like there's a drawer or something. And you like stick a piece of hair over like 
the drawer opening itself. There's a word for that. Anyway, so if someone were to open it, the hair would fall and you know that someone's disturbed it. My okay. thing is, I feel like if I have a window open and there's a strong breeze, like, that's gonna disturb it. I mean, I, I understand the concept, but, like, unless you have, like, a really obvious hair... <laughs> like you know i i figure right. these, these guys probably have like shorter hair right i mean it was the 90s so they've got a few inches <laughs> yeah the longer haircuts were in back then. i don't know but i just wanted to make sure i was reading that correctly and it wasn't a typo in my pdf no you were you were reading that correctly okay. so they they did jake was like berating marco after that until they did actually find a piece of hair sticking out of the closet door so they were searching around. They ended up finding nothing, and Jake carefully replaced the hair and closed the door, and they realized that Tom was just trying to see if anybody was snooping. He didn't have anything to hide in there at that point. So then the phone rings, and it startles the crap out of Jake. He picks it up, and it's Rachel, and she's saying, turn on the TV right now. So he hangs up, turns on the TV. The phone rings again. It's Cassie, and he's like, yep, yeah, Rachel just called. I know. And so they're on the phone as they watch the blue alien describe what's happening to them about the Yurk invasion and about how they have to fight and all that sort of stuff. And Jake is like flipping the channels. And this is on every single channel except channel seven, who is obviously prepared for just such an occasion. At this point, Marco's like, okay, I have to go to the bathroom. See you in a second. The broadcast then cuts away and there's the anchors saying like, I don't know what happened there. This is weird. And Cassie says to Jake, what are we going to do? And Jake says, well, we're just going to have to start taking care of things. And Cassie's like, what about Tom? And Jake's like, yep, we're going to have to take care of Tom. And they say goodbye. They hang up the phone. Jake hears a noise behind him and it's Tom holding his laser gun. And Tom heard everything he just said. And he says, come with me, make it easy. At that moment, Marco comes barreling out to tackle Tom, but Tom just sidesteps and trips Marco, sending him flying. And then Tom rounds Marco up as well, and he's taking the two of them outside at this laser gun point. And he's like, let's get in this car. Car pulls up, screeches to a halt, and Tom's like, we're going to go, and you're not going to resist me. And as he's hurting them towards the door, we hear a thwack, and a baseball (laughs) bat knocks Tom in the head. Tom's hit a few more times. He's bleeding from the nose, from the ears on the floor. Jake looks up and sees his cousin breathing hard, but hair and makeup still perfect. Oh my God, Rachel. (laughs) Right. It's the most Rachel image ever. Yeah, I cheered. I was like, yeah! (laughs) I love the brutality. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love the bloodshed. I mean, it's just, it's just so in character for her. Of course. She's coming out the gate. Mm-hmm. Where was she? We don't know, but she's there with the baseball bat and she's ready to fight. She could work for the mafia, just like busting people's kneecaps. <laughs> uh, what was it that she just said in the in Cassie's last book, the Buffett Man book? The whole like you're here for the morality, I'm here to do what's necessary. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely true. That is that is Bring her to a D. Yeah, and then we get this chapter, which is also fucking brutal. Oh, yeah. So Rachel, yeah. Rachel's watching this scene unfold as somebody runs from the car. We're in Rachel's perspective now. She sees Jake roll and he grabs Tom's gun. He takes aim at the guy running and yells freeze, which Rachel calls very NYPD blue. <laughs> the guy slows down but doesn't stop and Jake fires. And then the guy didn't have a leg below the left knee anymore. And Rachel yells, the car. So Jake fires towards the car engine compartment and disables it. And Tom was getting up now, so Rachel took another swing to the leg and took him out again. The guy in the 
from uh, the car was groaning and starting to roll over to take aim. So Rachel slams the baseball bat against his forearm and scoops up his gun when the guy drops it. Then the guy that was actually in the car trying to drive it away gets out and starts running. And Rachel takes aim at him. And Jake pushes her arm up right as she fires the, the laser gun and says, no shooting people in the back and no shooting people who are willing to leave them alone. And Rachel goes, who made you the boss or something? And Jake's just like, yeah, I am the boss. <laughs> and then thanks her for saving his life. Jake then says, we have to go get Cassie before these yerks send reinforcements. And Tom had dragged himself into a sitting position at this point and starts calling them their meat and saying, you're never going to escape. And Marco goes, forget reinforcements. Look at this. And draws their attention up to the sky where a bug fire is headed in. They take off running. This bug fighter is not cloaked. It's not trying to hide. Anybody can see it. And people are coming out of their houses to look at this thing. Oof. These kids are running for their lives. They're jumping fences, clearing toys, going through people's backyard. And the bug fighter starts firing on them. It's churning up ground below them. They passed a pool. It hits the pool, sends up this geyser of steam that's burning them. Jake pulls her and Marco behind a shed and said... When this bug fighter comes into view, the two of us are going to fire on it. So they took aim, and as soon as it came into view, they did. And it moved like it had been pushed, but there was no real damage on the bug fighter. It did give them a few extra seconds when they take off running again. And Rachel's wondering, where are they going? How is this going to work out? But then notices Jake has them running towards the woods so that they could get some cover. They're still a ways away, but they're headed in the right direction. Then, all of a sudden, Rachel was tumbling into a face full of dirt. Her ears were ringing. She's really woozy and confused. So she starts getting to her feet slowly, and she notices Jake was too. But Marco was just laying there like he was sunbathing at the beach. So she starts running over to Marco to yell, get up, get up, and then stops dead when she reaches him, not comprehending what's going on. And Jake grabs her and says, leave him, run. And Jake is sobbing because Marco is dead. It's just too much. Fucking hate this book. I don't hate it, but oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. Also, the minute that Visser like figures out that like, oh, I wasn't actually told by the Council of Thirteen not to, you know, attack Obli blah whatever. So I'm just gonna do it. Like, just typical, <sighs> typical Visser Thirteen or Visser Three. He should still have to clear it by the Council of Thirteen, no matter what. I mean, he should, but it's Visser Three. But he doesn't. No. <laughs> he sucks. Use a bug fighter to shoot some some teens running through a neighborhood. Oh, uh, Marco. This is all bad. So let's cut to Axe. Because, like, things are really moving fast at this yeah. point. Yeah. Axe is standing in a circuit city observing people watching the TVs. And most people are pretty cavalier about this whole thing. And they're like... Hey, I'm going to buy a big TV to watch this alien takeover. Or like, hey, you know, they have advanced technology. That must mean they have advanced morals. And Axe is kind of berating them a bit. Like, oh, of course, primitives would think that. And then all the TVs go black. And people are confused. They're like, oh, it's a power outage. And it's like, nope, just the TVs are off. And Axe goes, it was probably an electromagnetic pulse used to overload the chips in these TVs. They've gone black. And everybody's like, okay, what do we do? And Axe is like, fight the Yerks. <laughs> <laughs> Axe then has this, like, very intense internal debate about what his obligations are here and how explaining this to the council would be difficult with whatever he decides to do because he is just a cadet. He has no real cause to decide any of this. Like, he's not, he's not qualified for any of this. But 
he decides that he can't just sit by and watch the humans die and be taken over without a fight because that's just not the right thing to do. Then he sees in the distance, bug fighters surround the mall and all these Horkbajers start jumping out and creating a perimeter. And Axe goes, well, that's pretty smart. They're trying to take hundreds of hosts at one time. And he's noticing as the cars are trying to leave the mall and drive away, they're being blasted into oblivion. And then the blade ship lands on top of the structure. We cut to Cassie. She's inside the mall with her friends. She had just called her parents to say she wasn't coming home, and her parents argued that the aliens were probably friendly, and this was a great opportunity for humanity. And Cassie goes, I don't know if they're naive or infested, but the entire world is in chaos, and it feels like we're all waiting for something to give, and it's not good. Cassie, Rachel, and Jake had made it into the food court, and Rachel went to get them some food, and Cassie is just looking at Jake, not believing that Marco is gone. She kind of talks to him about it a little bit, but then she just starts going on about how she hopes the animals would come out of this okay. Then there's a scuffle on the other end of the mall, and Jake calls to Rachel and has this tone that just immediately snaps her to attention. She, of course, grabs the burritos and runs over. <laughs> Grab the burritos. It's important. Yeah, we need these. <laughs> I just paid for these. We're going to take them. Jake asks her where they can go hide, and Rachel starts listing a few places, and some of them are really unexpected, but good. Like, she's like, let's go to the furniture place and hide in cabinets. It'll be great. And they're all like, sweet. So they start running, and ahead of them, this bladed creature appears in the crowd, and Cassie goes, hork And she doesn't know how she knows it. Like, she heard Axe say it, but she doesn't know how she associated that. And she doesn't think they can fight them, but Rachel goes, well, I'm going to try, and grabs her laser gun out of her pants belt thing. And uh, she just jumps into a battle where there's a lot of chaos. There's firing back and forth, and hork are falling down the escalator, and, like, they're trying to head up the escalator, and hork are coming down, and they're firing on each other. And first, Jake loses his gun in the scuffle, and then Rachel's gets knocked out of her hand. And now that they're without the, the laser guns, it looks like they're about to be taken when a many-fingered hand reaches out and shoots at the hork And it's Yay! Axe. Axe is demorphing and joining the fight. Yay! Heck yeah. And at this point, I'm like, if Axe dies, I will burn this place to the ground. (laughs) It's chaos. Uh, Jake immediately jumps in to help Axe fight in any way he can. And Jake is just getting, like, tossed to the ground, trampled. Like, he's just in the way. And then a hork is coming up on Axe. He's about to take a a chunk out of him. When Rachel grabs the severed head of another hork and uses it to stab through the hork that's about to get Axe and kills him. Rachel. Was this the part that you highlighted? Because yeah. this is the part that I highlighted. <laughs> this was not the part that I highlighted. Okay. I was like, this is cool. There's a, there's a different oh. part. Okay. Because I literally just, I only just highlighted and then I just said in all caps, Rachel. So. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so another hork is charging them and Jake grabs the gun from Axe and fires it and saves Axe again. And Axe thanks Jake and then says, please give me the gun back. And Jake's like, No. And Axe is like, you've already lost two guns. And then he slaps Jake's hand with his tail blade. And he goes, now you've lost three guns and takes it back. <laughs> Axe, Axe is getting getting a little, little sassy. He's so sassy. Uh, um, and then Cassie starts calling out. She goes, Axe, Axe. And she even gets as far as Axe him. And then Axe goes, do we know each other? And Cassie's like, yes, but we don't know each other here. And we don't know each other now. And Axe kind of stares at her for a moment processing this. And then he says, can you guys run on two legs? (laughs) And Jake's like, 
yeah, we can fly, man. And Axe is like, we got to get to the roof. We may be able to get out of this. At one point, Axe, like, shoots somebody over his shoulder without turning his head. And I was just like, that was so badass. Axe is so badass in this fight. cool as hell. He's the best. The two highlights for me were Axe fighting and Rachel stabbing a Horkbizer with the head of another Horkbizer. so brutal. Just brutal and also very clever. Like, oh, yeah, Yeah. these things are giant weapons. Like, that's a weapon. Poof. (laughs) I'm a weapon. (laughs) It's a head. (laughs) Oh, God. That was amazing. We cut to Rachel's perspective. She feels exhilarated having taken down a Horkbizer by herself in her human body. Mm-hmm. And she was leading everybody to the roof of the mall because she knew the mall. And they're being followed by just this massive hork And Axe is firing back towards them. And she notes that he fired towards the mass of them coming up the stairs to create a bottleneck, ignoring the few that had made it to the front. And she thinks, that's a really smart move. So she's running towards this door. She turns a corner, hits the door full speed, but it's locked. And as she's saying that, Axe quickly cuts the, the handle with his tail blade and Rachel kicks the door in. They start going up the stairs. They make it partway up and Jake yells to Axe, shoot the stairs. And Axe gets really like weirded out. Like, why am I taking orders from this kid? <laughs> but he turns around and incinerates the stairs. <laughs> and that cuts off everybody chasing them. It's just this twisted bubble wreckage behind them now it gave off a lot of heat so they continued moving on their way out and made it to the rooftop and they are now on this like weird gravel surface all running towards where this ship is and there's the ramp that's lowering down and they're like this is insane and axe just goes we have to get on the ship that's our plan it's crazy but nobody will expect it and then suddenly from the ship there's hork right above them and they start dropping down on them And Rachel says she never even felt the blade. She just stumbled and saw shapes and lights moving around here. And then they slowed down to a Uh, stop. Fuck. Stop it. And then there were three. Fuck. So Jake yells Rachel's name and then grabs Cassie by the hand. Cassie is wailing and sobbing and Jake is dragging her along with him. He saw a laser gun in a dead man's hand, and so he reaches down and grabs it, pulling Cassie. And then all of a sudden, he didn't have to pull because Cassie was completely gone. She was vaporized in an Uh, instant in a shot from a Draken beam. Fuck! Uh. This was the part that I thought was so brutal because when I first read it, and I still kind of believe this is open to this interpretation, Mm -hmm. I thought that Jake was still holding her hand while the rest of her body was gone. Oh. Uh. Oh. Ah, uh, I don't like that. I thought that. the hand vaporized yeah. in his hand, but that way, yeah, like had her right, hand. like yeah. he was holding yeah. her hand and it too vaporized. But the way you think about it <laughs> is way worse, and therefore I will choose to believe it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I like. I actually went back and reread it because, like, I was like, this can't possibly be in a children's <laughs> book. And then when I reread it, I was like, okay, she may be entirely vaporized, but like. I think it's still a possibility. I mean, I think it it is in the realm of possibility. I mean, Rachel literally stabbed something with its compatriot's head. So Mm -hmm. this this could be possible. Yeah, so that part happened. And Jake was horrified, but Axe said, come with him. And Jake followed Axe. And they made it up to the ship. And Jake realized at that moment that Axe was very hurt. He was starting to stagger around and losing a lot of blood. And they come across, like, a few hork and stuff that seem so- shocked to see them. And they take them out, and they finally make it to the bridge. And Visor 3 was there. And he said, ah, you must have been the Andalite that survived the Dome ship crash. How enterprising. 
And Jake was like, oh, you guys are in, like, he's another one of you. You guys are together. And Axe goes, no, don't be deceived. He's not what he appears to be. And then Axe tries to fire on him, but misses. Visor 3 then cuts off Axe's arm, and Axe is left just dumbfounded, staring at his stump of a hand. (laughs) And Jake tries to fire, and he misses. And then Cassie fires and hits Visor 3 square in the chest, and the top half of him vaporizes, and the deer body drops to the floor. And then Jake goes, wait, Cassie? And this was the best. shit. Yeah. (laughs) Why didn't the entirety of him vaporize? I don't know. For dramatic effect. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. For gore reasons. More proof that Jake was holding Cassie's hand. Oh, no. I think you're right. The rest of her body vaporized. I think you're right. I hate it, but I think you're right. Fuck me. But Cassie's back. Yay. Cassie's back. That's good. And Jake runs over to her and just grabs her and holds her. Meanwhile, Axe disposes of the taxon and then seals up the bridge. And he goes, this won't stop them forever, but it's going to give us time. And Cassie just starts saying, it's coming apart. It's coming apart now. And then a gorilla materializes on the bridge. And this gorilla seems confused <laughs> and is like, wait, what? Oh, I'm a gorilla. And, um, and Cassie just starts saying, it's happening faster now. Then another voice cuts in that's familiar. It says, no, it shouldn't be happening like this. But this isn't a good voice. This is a bad disembodied voice. The the chode is a (laughs) That's my nickname for him now. That was your nickname for him last time, too. It was an accident last time, but now I kind of It's a good nickname. (laughs) So Axe takes him up into space, and he says, we can't save ourselves, but what we can do is we can try to save the human race, and we can try to make it easier for the Andalite fleet when they come here to help out. And Axe goes, I'm going to destroy the Yerk pool ship. And then he starts counting down from five. Jake observes Axe getting down to two when the disembodied voice says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Call it off. We're done. And Axe steps back, ready to fire on this new enemy that's appeared. And it is the Chode. (laughs) (laughs) The Drode appears next to the Elemist. And the Drode is having a meltdown about how he cheated and he knew this was going to happen and whatever they tend to freak out about. And we watch this conversation happen between the Drode and the Elemist where they're like, well, how did this happen? And you cheated because you knew that she was subtemporally grounded and they barely explain what that means. And then the Drode's like, wait a minute, I'm looking at all your choices now and you really stack the deck from the beginning because you have, you know, the brother of a of a controller that's really high ranking. You have the son of like the highest ranking Vizzer here. You have this subtemporally grounded girl you have the son of the andalite fighter like he's like you stack the deck and the elements just chuckles and goes well that'd be really smart of me wouldn't it <laughs> dumbledore motherfucker it's a really like crazy conversation yeah it is then the elemist is he's just kind of like playing it cool and then he returns rachel and tobias to them and he turns to cassie and he goes is this right now and cassie goes yeah except tobias and then the elemist turns him into a hawk and the drode disappears at this point because he's like, fuck all of y'all. <laughs> this moment where if it had have gone on longer, it would have been way worse because at this moment, all of the kids start to break because they have the full recollection of what happened. And Jake goes, I can't believe I said yes to the drode. How could I do this? Rachel's like talking to Jake as well because they're talking about how Jake's had to carry the burden for so long and she starts freaking out like mm-hmm. yeah we shouldn't have to carry this burden this shouldn't be on us and blah blah and Tobias is like I I wouldn't join the sharing like tell me tell me I wouldn't do that that's why would I do that ever 
Um, and then Rachel gets one really funny dig in where she says, I can't be in a timeline where I would date Marco. That's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> They asked to return to their timeline, and the Elemis says, somebody asked the Elemis, I think it's Cassie, if they'll remember this, and the Elemis says, only you will have a dim memory of this, and Cassie's like, well, I won't tell them, because Tobias can't know he went to the sharing, and Jake can't know that he agreed to this timeline, and the Elemis says, you are very wise, and then returns them to normal, where we get the final chapter of this book. We are back in Jake's bedroom. The scene is playing out again, where the drone is offering Jake away out and Cryak's gonna let him go back to normal like before this happened before they had these powers before everything was shitty and the droids tempting him again with Rachel succumbing to the darkness and Tobias never being happy you know Marco's gonna have to kill his mom you're gonna kill Cassie and Jake is paralyzed with this choice for a moment and then the droid goes never mind and disappears <laughs> and that's the end of this book damn <laughs> yay damn diggity damn <laughs> they're all back they are. Our kids also, are alive. Also, I had um, the phrase from Brave stuck in my head for most of this, if you had the chance to change your fate. But, you know, with an accent that I can't do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, if you had the chance to change your fate, Cassie would see right through it because she's temporally grounded. Well, so what? Mm-hmm. They didn't really explain what that meant. Like, I assume that means like she, obviously it, she's like. I guess it's kind of like. I, I guess I tied in with, like, the whole her being a strain and whatever else that, like, she has abilities that, like, aren't quite understood. Yeah. So, yeah, like, that, her morphing ability, the fact that she, like, you know, there is a timeline, the correct one, and if things change, she can sort of sense it in a way that others can't, I suppose. Like, I guess Jake could a little bit. There was the fact that, like, the other kids were getting wind of what was going on throughout the book and there's also like mm-hmm. like they've been in alternate timelines before and from what i remember i can't ever remember cassie catching a whiff of anything weird going on i could be wrong about that the only instance i can sort of remember was was it the jaguar book or whatever jake yeah kept flipping in and out of stuff yeah yeah like, that was that was all jake so well and the um megamorphs three they were in an alternate or they went back in time, yes. which I guess isn't quite the same. Right. I mean, I think for her, like, the hints we've gotten so far, like, book four, being able to hear Axe, mm-hmm. and obviously this book, and then also with um, Aldrea. I mean, like, it makes sense that Cassie would be the one to, like, know something was up, just because she is so intuitive. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I, I bought that, but I'm just reading into it. I don't know. No, yeah, I can see where the, like, the exact specificity of, like, the whole temporal thing would be, like, but there were other time shenanigans. Yeah. And, yeah, maybe it didn't seem like she was as mm-hmm. in tune to those. Just the idea of, like, Cassie is special, capital S. I could I could hand wave it away just with that, I guess. She's so connected with her friends that she noticed when they were missing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cassie can see through the matrix i don't remember what the exact phrase is <laughs> cassie can see through the meta <laughs> what if someone were just writing yeah. these books about us <laughs> we're all just pawns in someone's bigger story marco didn't get very many chapters in this book i feel he didn't yeah which always makes me sad yeah. but i guess it's okay he's kind of the downplayed character but when he was on he was like amazing how'd you feel about the book oh yeah okay so again i did think that this was the wrong book (laughs) so my expectations going in 
were actually no, my expectations going in were better after Casey messaged me and wanted to talk about this book. And I'm like, oh, it must be better than I thought. <laughs> what am I thinking of then? <laughs> and it was better than I thought. Like way better than I thought. Yeah, I loved it. Very uh, heart wrenching. Yeah. I think this, I know this is probably blasphemy, but I think this is probably my favorite Megamorphed book. Um, I love the dinosaur book. I love it so much. <laughs> but this one just had kind of more like slice of life combined with suspense. And I freaking love that mm-hmm. shit. And like, I love how like it took everything that we already knew about the characters and what had happened so far and just kind of like subtly like either paid homage to it or like referred back to it and just the writing is so fucking good and god and it's just like it's everything that (laughs) we love about Animorphs it's got the humor it's got the banter but it's also got the really really dark moments and I just freaking reveled in it don't get me wrong this is the best (laughs) I'm just saying I'm not No, it is. I think also, too, because, like, since it is the last one, it's the writing has gotten, like, more, like, sure. much stronger, which is not to say that it wasn't, like, strong mm-hmm. before. It also feels like now that we're this far into it, like, K.A. Applegate, like, really knows her characters. So sure. to be able to be like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, remember how, like, you know, they all started out before? Sure. Great. But, like, when they finally all slot into place and you're just like, ah, yes, now this feels like Animorphs, the payoff is, like, super satisfying. Uh, I was trying to see if I had any other notes that are just, like, kind of about the whole book in general, but Mm -hmm. I do sort of think, like, being able to, like, look at the Animorphs, see that if they didn't make the same choice they would still be in it anyway just because basically what the element said like they're so interconnected to like this whole this whole war this whole yurk andalite thing that there was no way that they wouldn't be involved is sort of an interesting way to like look at that mm-hmm. well and i just i loved the the consequences of them not being animorphs like i love how that whole thing played out how the yurks yeah. did resort to open war well yeah it was like it was a deterrent for viscer yeah three from you yeah. know just doing straight up open warfare like the yeah. fact that there was a guerrilla team on the ground of andalite bandits whatever yeah. they... is basically what stopped it from getting so big and they'll never know, like, the kids will never know that, yeah. that they're preventing this and how much good they're doing. Like, ugh. That's a great point. Like, the whole, like, oh, are we even doing anything that, like, really matters? And the answer is yes. Yes, like, you lot. are. <laughs> but yeah, they don't. You'll never know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They don't know that. The other side of that, though, is how heartbreaking is it that they just effectively stopped the invasion? Like, the Elemis confirmed that in this timeline... They won. They stopped the Yurk. It just, there would be more death sure. after this mm-hmm. and there would be a huge yeah. loss. Yeah. But they yeah. won. Oh my god. That's also a great point. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, the price would be very high. They would win, but the price would be like, oof, on mm-hmm. on both the Yurk and human side. Fuck. Do you want to move into character ratings? Yeah. What do we feel about Jake? I'm, <laughs> um, five. Just give I'm, giving, five. I'm giving him a five. Yeah, I. Yeah. No one's probably getting below a like a four. Sure. I don't even think I'm giving anyone a four. Yeah. I don't. I mean, we'll we'll Actually, still talk about yeah, each character. Maybe. But... Maybe. Okay. But yeah, a five. Yeah, Jake. Jake was coming so into good. his own. 
Jake's whole speech to Tobias about like why he never wants to join the sharing or like why the idea of the sharing turns him off. Mm-hmm. The the fact that like it is Jake's decision that leads them into this in the first place, but mm-hmm. you understand why. Mm-hmm. Top form Jake. Mm-hmm. And just how he acted yeah. even wanting to remove himself from everything. He still did the right thing by like following Tom mm-hmm. and trying to help him. Like just very proud of him. And like the one of the biggest things I loved about Jake in this book was that he we can all agree Cassie was the subtemporally grounded one. She's the reason the timelines stuck together and slotted and all that sort of stuff. But Jake had every opportunity. The whole point of this was go back in time, live your life, don't acknowledge this, just be a normal. Mm-hmm. And he still would not do <laughs> yeah. that. He still ended up in the fight. Yeah. He still ended up le- like he is just as important as Cassie was yeah. in mm-hmm. this book. Which sort of makes sense, too, because, like, even before Jake becomes an Animorph, like, the whole reason Tobias is hanging out with him is because, like, Jake stepped in to stop some bullies. Jake has never mm-hmm. been the kind of guy to, like, sit on the sideline where, like, bad shit is happening. Yeah. So. He's always been a good Yeah, bully. five for Jake. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Fives all around for Jake. Yes. <laughs> for once. Let's go to Rachel. I mean, five. Uh... <laughs> Five five alone for that like <laughs> Horkbajur move. Yeah. Again. Crazy. Yes. Five. I mean obviously I always give her five, but Well yeah, she yeah, was top I... form. She was funny and just quintessential Rachel the whole time. And she kinda scared you a little bit at times, but oh. a little bit. A little bit. I also feel like out of everyone, like seeing the pieces connect for Rachel kind of like the most satisfying because she i kind of feel out of everyone with the exception of maybe tobias was like the one going like there's something missing i don't know what it is but there's something missing and then she chases after markle's mom and beats tom with the bat and she's like ah yes it was this <laughs> this is what i was missing for my life and she just like stepped into that space and owned it mm-hmm. and it was just so cool to see her immediately jump back into the action because she's not the one that you would peg as the one that like has the gut reactions and the one that is logical and has that feeling. But she's just as it, another proof that she's just as capable as the other animorphs and just as quintessential to the team. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she just stepped right back into it. And if she wasn't there with Marco when his mom appeared there, either Marco would have been dead or infested. Like there's no way he would have gotten out of that situation on his own. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you guys want to talk about Tobias? Oh. Yes. I mean, do I? It's so sad. It's so sad. I like. I really believe that everything would happen that way. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, it made perfect sense to his character. Yeah. Uh, it was almost like finally we get to see why being a hawk is so great. Because mm-hmm. like I know a lot of people are like, oh yeah, it's like you know he's he just wanted to choose that freedom, blah blah blah. But like his life wasn't that bad, right? And it's like no, his life was fucking yeah. miserable. It was very shitty. And like he said before, if the animals hadn't come along, he doesn't know how he would have turned out. Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect arc yeah. for him. I was gonna say it feels weird to give him like a rating because I'm like I guess a five, but also I don't five you died and it was really sad and the sharing. Our, our rating is completely arbitrary <laughs> like you know it doesn't matter if like we liked one character more than another or if character did better but they acted bad like it just just whatever you want really five for taking me through an emotional roller coaster yeah thanks for destroying me in the inside yeah i mean also a five for just 
there's still some courageous aspects in him wanting to have a better life and trying to do things to improve his life and reaching out and not completely shutting down after all of the abuse and shit that he's been through. That's true. And yeah, it turned out to be the wrong decision because of invading aliens, <laughs> but there was still a courage in what he did yeah. and there is still, he still did the yeah. right thing. Right. Yeah. He didn't know that it would turn out terribly. He just thought like, oh, these people are reaching out to me. I will go join it. It seems cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I want a sense of belonging and to change my life. It just so happened that it was bad. I'll give him a five. Fives all around. (laughs) Let's talk about X now. (laughs) Five. Immediately. Great. Wonderful. Five. Six billion. (laughs) The only reason he saved the world was because they refused to give him any more cookies. And that's a five from me. I mean, that's often why I do anything. Just like, well, I guess I can't have any more treats, so I might as well just do this. (laughs) I might as well go save the world now. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. It was just all the best parts of Axe. Funny and intelligent and the courageous and the fuck you, Visor 3, and just, ugh. And the (laughs) taking the hits and being horribly injured but still going on and just, ugh. Yes. Top form. And not being overtly racist or sexist or xenophobic or anything. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have time. So that was great. (laughs) Although I think my favorite part in this entire book was when Axe just took it upon himself. Like he didn't know what the Andalite Council would want him to do. And he didn't have any orders. So he said, I'm going to do the right thing. And that's like the Axe and Elfangor trait. I do love that very much. When given, like, the opportunity to act on their own, they will do the right thing. Okay, let's let's talk about our subtemporally grounded girl, oh, Cassie. Cassie, keeping it together. Five. Yes. Like, five. Yes. Five. Like, she didn't get that much to do, necessarily. But, like, once again, Cassie behind the scenes is being like, I think things aren't right. I think, you know, I'm going to share this opinion and be like, no. Nope. There's there's something not quite curling all the way over here. The fact that she like never really let it go. Mm-hmm. Just so good. Yeah. yeah, even though she doubted herself. Mm-hmm. She knew cuz she trusts her heart. So here like, okay, I'm going to make a really weird point and I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm going to make it anyways. I think probably one of the strongest aspects of Cassie still understanding that they were in like the wrong timeline and that nothing was right was the fact that she was willing to tell them all this without, like, even though it sounded ridiculous and they didn't believe her and they thought she was going to be crazy, her willingness to share all of that with the team Mm -hmm. is, like, the strongest thing for me. Because if we go all the way back to the beginning of the series, Mm -hmm. the first, like, 10, 15 books, Casey and I were screaming, like, if you would just talk to each other, then everything would be fine. And, like, they brought that in. And I loved that so much. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That is no. That's that's a very good point. That's not a strange point to make at all. Oh, well, good because I thought it was a weird thing to say. <laughs> no, that makes that makes sense. There's so often where I'm like watching or reading something, and I'm just like, if y'all would just talk to each other, you would be in this position. Yeah. Sometimes when stories, sometimes when stories put too much of the conflict on miscommunication, it really bothers me. So. Yeah. Agreed. Marco. Okay, so I would have given him a five, but 
all of his like internal monologue oh, about Rachel yeah. was a little bit much. <laughs> I'm gonna give him a four point five. Because he too was like, once he was in his element, he was like, ah, yes, there's a mock I remember. And I do enjoy him bantering with Rachel. Yes. But when he's just like, oh mm-hmm. man, I just thought she was a babe. She actually also has a brain. <laughs> Welcome to like gets. 90% of the time of how I feel about Marco. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Except for that one dumb thing he said. I think the reason I usually am just like, ah, I can take it with Marco though, because he'll also say something like, I think there was some point when he was bantering with Rachel, he was like, oh man, is it the fact that like, I'm three feet shorter than you that you don't want to date me? And I'm like, that's, that's also why I still like Marco. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I still want to give him a five because I still want to like embrace his flaws and understand that like, I don't have to agree with everything <laughs> he says, but that's for my personal growth that I'm giving him a five. <laughs> Um, and I am not arguing against that at all. I think I'm also going to give him a five because he said worse. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> I was reading it. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, Marco. But I wasn't like, oh, Marco, you little shit. How dare you? <laughs> I think I mentioned last time I was on that like Marco is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I feel, I feel mm-hmm. fine reading him a 4.5 for this because... I generally speaking, he's usually at the top of my list anyway. So yeah, well, it's also like when he's your kid, and everybody else is like, "No, it's fine." Yeah. That little Timmy is like hitting my kid with a baseball bat, and you're like, "You stop it! We're here with people." Yeah, please don't act out in front of everyone, in front of company. It's cool. I gave Axe a three last time, and I feel like that was generous for how I was feeling at the time. <laughs> uh, it's fine. I give Rachel a five every that's time, true. no matter what. And that's terrible. I shouldn't do that. Well, is there any last, like, overarching thoughts we wanted to talk about here before we sign off? Everyone is exactly where they need to be, and I'm glad that they are there. In Animorphs, but also in life? No, just in Animorphs. <laughs> also, also, every listener, you're exactly where you need to be right now. Unless you're not. In which case, you should try and get to where you yeah. need to be. If you're being led down a dark corridor <laughs> yeah. by a guy named Bill, turn the fuck around. Turn around. <laughs> Maybe it's not too late. Yeah, I think that's it. That's all she wrote. Cool. She being Applegate. Maisha, tell me about your comic. Oh, right. Yeah, that thing. Um, So The Substitutes is a fantasy comic about three roommates who accidentally inherit the magical weapons of three heroes. And it is online at thesubstitutescomic.com. And if anyone is at Emerald City in 2020, I will be hopefully, fingers crossed, done with chapter two to sell it. Yay! Yay! That's awesome! Thank you. Please go read it. It's one of my favorite comics ever. It's the best. And oh my god. Just go. Go now. Stop listening to this and go. It is. (laughs) Well, I mean, finish listening, but then go. You could also probably do both. (laughs) We're we're almost done. They can leave. (laughs) Fuck it. Go! Go now! (laughs) No, I think I, I said this last time too, but it was when I was talking silently to myself. But like I, I started reading it after the last podcast and I like some of just the amazing light work yeah. that you do. Oh, you. I am like in awe. Yeah. It's amazing. So, so I um, love it. And the story too. But like there's some pages I just sat there looking like, <laughs> yeah. holy shit. Well, thanks, y'all. Casey, tell me about I your comic. I also have a comic. It's called B-Side You. Yay. <laughs> um, and you can read that at B-S-I-D-E-Y-O-U-Comic.com. Um, I will be posting again in like mid-December. So look forward to that. Yay. Wow. Yay. 
It's yes. really good. Everyone read it. If you're not already, and you should be. You definitely should you be. should be. At least read the next pages that I will be posting in the next few months, because I worked really hard on them, and I drew lots of instruments. Yay, I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. I love it. And seeing the new character designs, too. I'm extremely excited for this mysterious boy with the cool hair that I love, <laughs> oh that know nothing about. But I love them. <laughs> I don't have a comic, but if you like comics and read Superboy, you can find me as the uh, accidental third host of Cadmus 2 Crisis, a Superboy comic. So... If you're into that sort of thing, you can find me over there. I don't contribute much, just some voices and some questions about Superman. So I love it. Well, we, we did it. Did yeah. Maisha, thank yeah, you so much. You're back. welcome, as always. We did all the megamorphs. We did all the megamorphs. Oh, holy shit, you're right. We did just we do did. all the megamorphs. Good job, y'all. Oh my god. Let's go walk walk into the great beyond. Go sub-temporally shift into a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.